Welcome to Elixir Wizards, a podcast where we talk with software developers from around the world about the Elixir language and other modern web technologies. My name is Justice Epen, and I'll be your host today. I'm a developer at SmartLogic, a Baltimore-based consulting company that has been building custom web and mobile software applications since 2005. From the SmartLogic team today, we have myself, Justice Epen, and my intrepid, indomitable co-host, Eric Ostrich. Say hi, Eric. Howdy. Our theme this season on Elixir Wizards is working with Elixir. And we'll be talking with our guests about performance, functional programming, and today, especially hiring and training. We're blessed to be joined today by our fearless leader and comrade, Director of Development of Operations here at SmartLogic, Dan Ivovich. Hey, everybody. It's good to be here. Dan, we're so glad to have you back on the show. You've been a guest a number of times now, and you've co-hosted the show at least a couple of times. And so everybody knows who you are from the podcast and from ElixirConf. So our first question of the day is, can you explain what was going through your head when you hired Eric? So that's actually pretty funny because Eric's the one person who works for me who I didn't hire. Eric started right around the same time I did. So really, the better question, Justice, is what was going through my head when I agreed to hire you? We were going to ask that, but we wanted to get you on on the record as acknowledging Eric having been here a little bit longer than you. If you count an internship, then sure. Eric has been here longer. <laughs> Eric also predicted that you would reference the internship. Eric's a smart guy. It's why he still works for me. <laughs> Unlike some other people on this call. Just kidding. No, no, no. But seriously, we're super glad to have you on the show. Can you talk maybe just a little bit about your role here at SmartLogic so people know what it means to be the director of development operations? Sure. So, you know, I'm, you know, the team lead, probably the simplest way of putting it. Oversee, you know, the entire development staff, kind of our, our project management, making sure that we're executing on contracts and, you know, removing obstacles so the developers can do their best work, ensuring that the operations run smoothly. All right. So our first question about uh, recruiting and hiring. So how do we go about recruiting new employees? You know, we try to be members of the community, you know, conferences, meetups, job postings. Generally speaking, when we have an opening, you know, and we're kind of always collecting resumes, we're generally able to find somebody pretty quickly. We've been fortunate in that regard. You know, Baltimore is a great place. We've mostly been able to find people local who we we need. And what do you think is the biggest challenge uh, specifically with recruiting Elixir developers? Well, there definitely just aren't as many, you know, compared to JavaScript or Java or Ruby, Python, you know, it's definitely more niche. It's just starting out. Uh, It's definitely growing and it feels exciting, like becoming a Ruby developer did back far too long ago when I when I became a Ruby developer. But compared to other languages, there just aren't that many developers who are going to come in the door with a wealth of Elixir knowledge, especially, you know, in Baltimore specifically, or, you know, a small pool of people who might be willing to move to Baltimore. And I suppose for context, we've been developing an Elixir here at SmartLogic now three years at least. I got here three years ago. Four years, I think. Four years. 20, end of, yeah, it's about yeah, that. 2015, I think we started. And Elixir was first released eight years ago? Uh, I think one. 2012, Most of, certainly the entire time we've had a stable Elixir build. SmartLogic has been building in Elixir. Very cool. Uh, And can you talk a little bit about this recruiting challenge? Are we hiring developers who already know Elixir? 
generally we're not. I think we've really only hired developers who have an interest in it and have maybe played around with it a little bit. I don't know that we've hired anyone who came in the door with, you know, professional paid Elixir experience. So, you know, we have to train them up. You know, that's generally immersion in projects that are ongoing. That's through pairing, participating in code reviews. We definitely encourage a lot of reading, you know, tutorials, self-study. Everybody learns differently. So we try to be flexible to that. And me, for example, you trained me in Elixir. And I won't answer this question, but I just am curious, have you noticed what are, generally speaking, the big sticking points for folks when they're picking up Elixir coming from a language maybe like Ruby? Well, I mean, you know, I think functional languages, you know, are, are a change for someone who was, you know, trained and kind of raised on object-oriented languages. But we find that mastery of any language, the kind of underlying fundamentals are, are really the same. And especially if you've worked on a modern web app framework, Rails, Django, even, you know, Microsoft MVC.net, you know, the way that you structure an application there translates pretty well into Phoenix. So someone can come in, especially if they know Ruby, see a relatively familiar syntax and understand how the parts are connected. You know, will they be able to immediately work with Ecto? Will they understand how data is flowing through the system, how changes are being committed to the database? Not as much, but you know, they'll have so much of the structure from the start. You know, I think we found that Rails developers pick up Elixir really well, and there's certainly a lot of Rails developers out there. And do we hire uh, locally, remote, or both? So traditionally locally, you know, a, a year ago, I probably would have said only local, and then our remote employees have always kind of worked in Baltimore first. We have started to bring on remote first developers. You know, we're just trying to grow and growing with the times and growing for where the expertise is. And I would say so far, it's gone pretty well, but we're definitely cautious about it. You know, the way we communicate the level of service we provide to our clients is important. So I, I think there's a lot more to why we would or wouldn't hire a remote employee than just, you know, raw programming Elixir skill. And there's a lot of other factors clearly that go into making a hiring decision besides, you know, whether or not someone knows Elixir. And can you talk a little bit about our stack here? Obviously, Eric and I know, but <laughs> I bet people are curious if we're working exclusively in Elixir or if we're cross-training on different languages. Yeah, I think the last time I pulled the numbers, we were at like 13 of 14 or 13 of 15 new projects were all Elixir-based instead of Rails-based. We've been a Rails shop since just before I started, like eight and a half years ago. So we were kind of like in the midst of some of our first big Rails projects right when I walked through the door. You know, we're clearly still supporting a lot of that work. We do a lot of recurring work for our clients. You know, we'll, we'll take on new Rails work. We'll take on new Ruby work. You know, whatever we think is the best fit for the client, whatever the client already has. So the team's definitely very capable of handling Ruby or Elixir. And then we've also started to do, well, not even just started. We've been doing it for a long time now, React and React Native. So a lot of the team is also very versed in JavaScript for all that kind of front end and mobile development. I got to write some Rust this year. So, yeah, Rust, uh, we've done some Go, we've done some Python, we've done a lot of Bash, you know, whatever we need to do, we'll pull it in. You get a group of smart people, I'm not worried about anything I, uh, you know, would throw at the team. All right, so we just hired a new person. What's the onboarding like? Yeah, I, I think... Like I said, you know, knowing Elixir isn't what's most important to me. Knowing something really well, I think, is what's important because you got to have skills that you can kind of translate into what you're you're coming into. And this is assuming we're hiring somebody who's not a junior. You know, someone we're expecting to, be able to hit the ground running pretty quickly because I think that's probably the more interesting scenario. You know, any junior developer can learn anything given the right time and tools. So I think you know, onboarding here, you know, making sure we explain the product, the nouns and actions inside our product. That just makes a code base way more readable if you understand 
you know, what the point of a product is. So ensuring that we do that well, I think is really crucial to somebody getting up to speed on a project, uh, you know, well. And then some of the things we do anyway, just to make sure a project's running smoothly, really clear, well-defined stories in the backlog, you know, clear understanding of what work needs to be done, what the highest priority things are. If that's not clear, you're, you're setting up a new employer for failure. And then pairing, you know, just working with somebody, encouraging, talk out loud, think out loud. Clearly, you talk out loud. Just ensuring that the thought process is being conveyed so that somebody can get up to speed. And then the mechanics of the language, you know, I think will flow. And you can get those from reading a book or going through some tutorials, you know, doing some small exercises. So I think from our standpoint, what's most important that we do is give them a good ground to stand on. And then because we hire smart people, I I know they can pick up the language itself. And could you talk a little bit about the ongoing professional development that we do here? What sort of support do we offer developers who have been on the team for some time? You know, we definitely encourage speaking, you know, internally at lunch. We've done internal conferences before. We're pretty prolific on the blog, um, or at least Eric is very prolific on the blog. You know, open source time, uh, podcasts, clearly we support podcasting. We've done Twitch streaming. And then I don't think we've ever said no to a request for a book to be bought. So, you know, whatever we need. We've done subscriptions to various video services. Like I said kind of earlier, I know everyone learns differently. So I'm definitely not trying to pigeonhole anyone into an existing curriculum. You know, whatever is going to work best, we try to provide the support around. And I guess I'll add that I know that we've had at least one developer who's taken time off to go do a program. And I don't know if we supported their tuition costs or not, but it's definitely pretty progressive in that area. You have a favorite resource for learning Elixir or functional programming in general? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I would say I haven't done those things as much as I would like to learn since I was already a manager at the time that we moved to Elixir. It hasn't been a huge part of my like on-the-job coding. I've definitely done a decent amount of it, but nothing compared to you know what the rest of the team has done. So a lot of my knowledge, honestly, has come through like reviewing code and then kind of like diving in, helping fix bugs, kind of figuring out what you know what's going on. Which is, I think, why I also you know feel very strongly that somebody with sound fundamentals can jump in there and figure out Elixir pretty well because, I mean, that's basically what I've done. And what's something you've recently read or attended that was a great learning experience? Like, who was it? What was the topic? And if it's online, can the listeners find it? So I, I think some of the more interesting Elixir related things I've seen have been at local meetups. So there was one, you know, one that I helped organize here in Baltimore that we kind of talked through a existing project that was being had its API replaced with Elixir and we kind of rebuilt on the fly. And so that was pretty interesting. Uh, it's, I don't, don't think it's up online anywhere. And then most recently, we sponsored uh, Bruce Tate to come to DC Elixir and uh, and speak there. And uh, he did a uh, you know, Conway's game of life using live view. Um, and I thought it was a really kind of good way to lay out, you know, how pattern matching for the game of life is a really good fit inside Elixir. And then it easily transitioned into tracking the the board's state as the game was evolving in a live view and then seeing an update in the, in the webpage based on a timer. Um, so it was really effective demonstration. I also, I don't think that's online anywhere, but I would definitely recommend it as an exercise for the reader or the listener in this case to, you know, try it out because I think, you will find some really good use cases for Phoenix and Elixir patterns in in building that out. Dan, you're one of the most capable developers I know as far as breadth of ability. And I'm curious how you challenge yourself to continue to learn and grow as a developer. 
Uh, if you could talk about like your strategies and tactics for developing your skill set. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely just try to take in as much content as I can. My personality type is to kind of go wide and deep on everything and just try to have you know no unanswered question. I really don't like a uh, anything that's like a black box or uh, you know, oh, it's just magic on how it works. I really want to understand kind of the underlying principles of things. So, you know, I would say going deep on technology, deep on things I'm experimenting with, you know, pushing existing projects or things I'm working on to the point where they break and then trying to figure out why uh, is how I've learned, you know, a lot. You know, beyond that, conferences, uh, videos from conferences, listening to podcasts, you know, this extraordinary podcast, among others. And then I also try to have some side projects, you know, to experiment with and try some stuff out with. And I have a few like, kind of like little things that I've rewritten, you know, over the years, you know, I, I originally did in you know, PHP back when that was what I knew. And then in Java, and then again, in C++, and then again, in Ruby, and now I'm working on them again in Elixir. And they're really nothing legitimate or even interesting. It's just, hey, here's something that my mind seems to understand and learn the syntax, learn the structures just by redoing it in whatever you're trying to learn. And I guess, what is the sample app that you keep redoing? Maybe that, that might be useful to hear for others that they can try as well. Sure. So I have always kind of felt like take a take something you know out in the world and just like make your own version on it and do like kind of a twist on it. So I've done like clones of Stack Overflow, right? Questions and answers types of boards. I've done URL shorteners. I've done like little simulation games where you're like trying to sell something and you want to like take into account randomness. Like it's August. So the temperature is going to be between 80 and 100 versus in November, the temperature is going to be between, you know, 20 and 40. And so whether or not you sell a drink is based on like that statistical like probability based on that temperature range or you know things like that that you know that one's actually been kind of fun with elixir just because you know you kind of have these you know processes you want to communicate with like you know something to manage the weather okay well what's what's today's temperature okay what's you know in your ongoing simulation you know, eric you clearly know how well elixir works for non-playable characters and room state and things like that to architect out a game so that's been something that i'm not as far along with as i'd like to be but it's something that i, I think is an interesting problem to kind of dig into and otp being such a unique and powerful tool i think it is good to have a side project that forces you to start thinking about that architecture, because that's probably what is most different from anything you've ever experienced before if you're coming from another MVC framework in a different language. So moving on to some questions on functional programming more broadly, what was your first exposure to functional programming? And maybe also for you know a new listener, if you could give a quick definition. Yeah. So I, I know that there's a really fancy definition for functional programming, you know, kind of in like the, the layman's terms, like there's no objects, right? Data is immutable, data flows through the system. You do it through composition of pure functions, probably some other really technical things that I'm not super academic on. I grew up doing C programming, you know, from my first schooling and through college and things like that. It was still C, C++. So C isn't technically a functional language, but I do think you know, it helped for sure, just thinking about data structures and structs and passing data around and not so much the object side of, of like Ruby and Java, you know, Java. I have done Scala, which is probably the first technically functional language that I've ever messed around with. That was through a like online class that I did once. It was interesting, but I didn't really get that deep on it. So really, from a functional standpoint, Elixir is my, uh, my most functional experience. 
And I guess as you started with Scala or Elixir, what were some of the biggest hurdles as you started getting going? Yeah, I would say just like where to store things, you know, object oriented programming, especially, you know, doing over a decade, at least of Ruby on Rails before I really got into Elixir. Object oriented, just kind of like, oh, you, you have this thing in memory, it has a name and you can take action on it. Whereas functional programming is much more, you know, okay, you know, give me some input, I'll give you some output. Like it's a new copy, I'm not mutating anything. Like there's a purity to that that is great. But I found that, you know, the switch from architecting an object-oriented based application to a functional programming based application, the hardest part for me has been, okay, well, like where, like, where's this data? Like, where, where, where do I get it from? Where do I keep it? How do I get it started through this pipe? Because you can start defining those functions about like what you want to adjust, how you want to act on the data, but kind of where your inputs and where your outputs, I found to be just like a little bit more confusing, at least at the very first start than with an object-oriented framework. So a lot of the things that you learn in object-oriented, they just, they don't translate well. And so I think I ended up with some like really messy structs and maps being passed around and, and, and you worry about that, you know, like what's the cleanliness of this data? Will it have the right keys and, and values so that the functions I'm passing it to all understand what it is I'm sending around. Whereas, you know, in, in Rails, if you have a model for a user and you tack a, a function onto it, it's blatantly clear in that file what all the data you have access to is, whereas it's that's not nearly as, as clear in functional programming. It's just something to get used to. And I, I think ultimately there are a lot of benefits. So from my standpoint, the big benefit was when I learned about Ecto change sets and just seeing how you build up this change set through a bunch of fun functions until you have a struct full of all the data you need that either is going to contain some errors or have every change that you're going to make that you can then commit to the database. And then you can either return that that same change set and display the errors, or you can commit it to a database and say, you know, okay, great, everything's done. You know, that after just being burned repeatedly by active record, mutation, side effects, callbacks, things like that. When I saw that in Ecto and it clicked, I was sold. It was just like, this is the far better way to handle data-driven applications, which is most of what we do. Yeah, I think I was, I, we were probably on the same call when that, that like click happened. <laughs> Or, or at least like it was the same week. I just, I, I remember once we finally figured out change sets and like, I don't know, this was maybe six months or so in, I guess, when it was finally like, it finally like clicked and I was like, this is, I can never go back. <laughs> yeah. So what's your favorite thing about functional programming, Dan? Definitely the no side effects thing. Data in, data out. You know, you get a new copy, you're not mutating state. The pureness of uh, functions and functional programming is, is really what I like the most. Yeah, I guess to throw another story on that, what, like sort of probably around the same time when we did the, the chain sets, aha, like I remember writing some functions that were what you might consider a Rails model and like it was taking input and like doing stuff and then like returning it, right? And I just remember thinking like all, all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, this is just a function. I don't need to set up this like gross thing it's not like some, like, I don't need to set up an object that has this like very specific state so that when I call this function, that thing works or whatever. So like you just call it, like it's just a function on a module. So you just call it, right? And like that was a... Well, and I think if you if you look at our tests on our like large Rails apps versus our, you know, Phoenix apps, you can see how much effort goes into mocking and stubbing and just creating the world for tests to be effective, even when they're fairly low level inside a complicated Rails app. And yeah, maybe that could be architected away, but it's not easy. And you look at our larger Elixir apps and the tests for them are so clean. It's just 
you know, is this a real struct from the database or is it just something we made up? It doesn't matter, right? It just needs to have the right shape to it and, and then you can pass it through. And I mean, that's what mocking is. You're, you're creating something with the right shape, you know, with the right type so that it, you know, if it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. But I think the mental hurdle to build that whole model from object-oriented versus in functional programming is so different. And that's what a lot of people talk about with functional programming is just the, the cognitive load to keep what's relevant about an application you're working on in your head can be so much less when you're dealing with pure functions than when you're dealing with a messy nest of objects. Well, Dan, we've moved very quickly today, so we're out of our regular questions to ask. I'm curious, do you have any uh, hot takes or things on your mind that you want to share with the audience? Or you can always just move right into shameless self-promotion if you like. Uh, maybe I can thread that needle and do a little of both. You know, I, I think Elixir is a, a really solid choice for modern web applications. You know, you're you're processing data, you're taking it in, you're collaborating in real time, you're doing things in the background, you're processing transactions, you're handling webhooks from external systems. Elixir gives you so many tools to to deal with those things, and it has really it has improved the performance. It has improved the or is, it has decreased the size of RAM that we need on servers that we're deploying to. You know, it has made tests fast and fun to deal with. And so I, I think it just it has had many strengths for us. So, you know, clearly if, if you or your team is considering switching over, SmartLogic would be happy to help. And if you have a, a, a project you'd like to spin up and you think Elixir might be a good choice, we'd love to talk about it. That's great, Dan. And I suppose I will add, since it came up yesterday in our all hands, that we are looking for suggestions from the community for open source projects that need to be built. So if you can think of any open source projects that need to be built, please reach out to us at SmartLogic on Twitter. Our email addresses, I'm justice at smartlogic.io. Dan is dan at smartlogic.io. Eric is eric at smartlogic.io. We're very original in our email scheme. Well, yeah, it makes it easy to remember. So yeah, we'd love to hear from the audience and anyone that's using Elixir in real life. This has been a conversation with Dan Ivovich of Smart Logic. My name is Justice Epen. I am joined by my co-host Eric Ostrich. This has been another episode of Elixir Wizards. Hit that subscribe button and join us next week for another episode of Elixir Wizards. Mm-hmm.